thank you for your love for us. And we ask you to show your love to us even now. Show your love and your greatness, your goodness to us. And help us to see our lives in the light of your goodness, your love, and who you are. Speak to us now through your word, through your spirit. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to start right off with a question for you. What did you complain about this week? So, I'll give, give you a minute to think about that. You know, search, see if there was anything, possibly. Um, if you need some help, you can talk to your husband or wife or <laughs> your kids or your parents or... Can you think about anything you complained about this week? And now, the, the braver thing, are you willing to confess any of those things to somebody near you? You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be the big ones, it could just be something little. Um, can you tell somebody near you what you complained about this week? Just find one or two people and just... Tell each other what you complained about. Didn't have the snow to complain about this week, so I, you know. Some honest people, some reticent people, I see. Yeah, okay. Um, anybody willing to really stick your neck out and tell everybody? Yeah. Housing, failed relationships, and finances. Okay. Nathan. Okay, and thanks for throwing in that complaint about the news. Yeah. Okay, we don't have to go on about that details. Some people at school. Mm-hmm. Okay, teachers. Oh, some people complain about teachers at school. Okay. Uh huh. Tearing carpeting out of the basement. Okay. Your honey-do list, okay. Not about your honey, just about your list, right? Yeah, right, just the list, right, right, okay. Having to share a bathroom, okay. 
There's certain moments when that's especially a problem. Uh huh. So you're complaining about that? Okay. Most of us don't know what you're complaining about, but that's great. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was a hand. Technology. Okay. Okay. Troubleshooting technology for people complaining about technology. All right. Keeping the house clean. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Somebody. Okay. We got. We. We don't have to go on and on. We can. We. We get the picture. Um, and thank you for those of you brave enough to uh, tell us about your complaints. So. Um, I was thinking maybe no we would have anything because just two weeks ago, Pastor Andrew t preached about complaining. So I thought maybe you guys had like gotten this down. Now, I wasn't here, so I have an excuse. But um, <laughs> uh, s for my complaining this week. I'll tell you later about my complaining this week. But um, let let's get us back into the picture of where we are. Big picture. Um, you recall scripture. We, uh, we've been talking about the story. God created everything good, just relationships, everything was good. And then there's three stories about injustice getting worse and worse. And then God does something to create a new kingdom to bless all nations um, through calling Abraham. So in those three stories, we have increasing injustice in the family, in society, in inter-ethnic or international relations. And each of those is connected with a genealogy, giving us the idea that there's some time that passed between these little snippets to show us how things are getting worse. And then, in, so we're going through the first five books of the, of the Bible, all right? So Genesis, the next part, is connected with a genealogy, again, from Terah's family, in other words, Abram's story, Isaac's family, which is mostly about Esau and Jacob, and then Jacob's family, which is mostly about Joseph and Judah, you know, Jacob and sons. So these, these three stories about how God is beginning to build this new nation to deal with the injustices and bless all nations, to bless them, make them a, make them a, a new nation. And we're seeing that happening as this, as this goes on. So that's the stories of the pioneers in Genesis 12 to 50. So Genesis is kind of this big intro book about how we got here. And then we get into the wilderness. Well, first we start in Egypt, right? And then there's a travel story getting us to Sinai. And we spent a year at Sinai meeting God, getting the, the law and justice and, and other things revealed, and also building the tabernacle. And then there's a travel story. So there's a travel story from Egypt to Sinai. There's another one from Sinai to Kadesh, which is where they decided not to go into the land that God had promised them, which we talked about last week. And there's another travel story to the plains of Moab. So we're in the book of Numbers, which is basically starts in Sinai and goes through the rest of that. And uh, in your bulletin, there's a little thing just for the fun of it, homework if you want, to uh, compare these stories. So it, 
Um, okay, and then next up comes the reprise sermon. Um, Deuteronomy, three speeches from Moses at the end of 40 years saying, here's what we learned, folks. Don't forget. Um, so what we're doing is, so in your both, and that's just the thing you can take home and, and look at, there's making comparisons between these. So sometimes when you, when you read through these, you're going to go, wait a second, complaining about food? Didn't they already complain about food one time? Now they're complaining about food again. Now another generation is complaining about food and water. and what, So there, there's comparisons being made. So you, you see the author or editors of, of uh, this book really love the three thing. They liked three of these and three of those and three. Of so this centerpiece is these three locations where God, in each of these locations, more of the instructions are given, more of the law is given. Remember we said Torah is instruction. So more of the, the story is given, which is instruction, and more of the, those three places, the explicit instructions. Here's what you're supposed to do. Uh, we talked about the, the ten words and other instructions. So that's where we've been, and our current series is about um, Welcome to the Wilderness. What an exciting title for a series, don't you think? Um, we haven't gotten a lot of new people coming in because of that particular series. As far as we know, maybe you're here because it's on our website someplace. Um, Welcome to the Wilderness. It's, it's an invitation to join Jesus in the wilderness. It's, it's just um, the exact kind of things that you'd kind of like put on your billboard, you know? I think we should have a sign out here. Bethel Christian Fellowship, welcome to the wilderness. Um, to, just to draw people in. Um, you notice that nobody really tends to advertise the wilderness. And yet, most people end up experiencing the wilderness. And I, I have a little equation, R minus E equals H, reality minus expectation equals happiness, which explains why we can have so much and be so unhappy. People come to Tanzania and they're like, well, people are so happy. What, what they mean is, if I had this, I wouldn't, but they don't expect what you expect. Um, so all this raises our expectations, and somehow we, and of course, we also put this into the gospel, like, you know, if you would get saved, then everything would go great. If, if you would just, you know, be faithful and, and, and wait until you get married to have sex, then it'll be fantastic. If you would just tithe, then you'll always have enough money. If you would, we, we build these, if you get saved, then you'll be Happy, happy, happy all the time, as one of the Sunday school songs said. Um, and yet, so that's part of why it, maybe it's okay to have Lent. Um, I was reading a uh, book called uh, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, um, former McAllister student, <coughs> and she's She's a very successful teaching at Duke Divinity School and uh, also got stage four cancer and has got a baby and she's trying to make sense of how does this work. And she, one of her things she really hated was going to church on Lent with cancer and having nothing about Lent. There's something about Lent that helps us to say, oh, so Jesus could also be in the wilderness? Um, I remember when my friend was dying and we'd go and we'd sing these songs about, uh, um, it, was, it, was a, it was a psalm about living, that God's promised me a long life. With long life, he will satisfy you. 
I was like, wait a second. And he died at 45. So how do we put those things together? And isn't that a good reason to complain? When it doesn't meet our expectations, or is there something wrong with our expectations? Or, and why would we voluntarily go into the wilderness? That's even more weird, isn't it? Um, and Pastor Andrew has sometimes said this. I don't, know, I don't know why, but he mentions that most Pentecostal churches don't do Lent, but we do, which always makes it sound like, what's wrong with us? But a lot of churches do. Most churches do. Just tens of us, us Pentecostals that like to look on the bright side of life and, and necessarily do Lent. Um, in fact, there's a whole stream of churches that we sometimes label as, as uh, prosperity or health and wealth or that kind of imply that you should never have problems. And if you do, you must have done something to, to, to not have enough faith. If you just have enough faith, you wouldn't have those kind of problems. Because God's a big God. Well, God is a big God. So that's a good question. Why are we in the wilderness if God's such a big God? And um, we see in Numbers that they had all kinds of uh, answers to that question about why they were in the wilderness. And um, a lot of people to blame. So we're an invitation to join Jesus in the wilderness. And I want us to think about a biblical pattern. I was thinking about this. Um, Tim Mackey's talking about fasting specifically. But there's a pattern where people encounter God. And then there's a response. Now, sometimes that's fasting. Sometimes it's feasting. So Moses is the first one who spends 40 days on Mount Sinai with God. And the response to that is to fast for that whole time. Elijah also has this amazing encounter, with, and fire comes down, and the prophets of Baal are defeated, and Israel says they're going to repent. And then after that, he spends 40 days on Mount Sinai, actually not, not eating or, or drinking. And then Jesus picks up that pattern, and he has an encounter with God. And God says, you're my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. And that amazing encounter responds to that with fasting. And then there's sometimes there's other kinds of encounter, like we encounter our sin or other people's sin. So Moses gets, it seems like he gets down from the mountain, sees the rebellion of the people, throws this, the commandments on the ground that they've broken, and fasts. Um, the Day of Atonement is set up every year for the people of Israel to fast that whole day about their sins, encountering their sins and asking God to forgive them their sins. Now, that was the only fast day in the, in the children of Israel's schedule. Now they have another one for the destruction of the temple, if I've, if I've got it right. Um, but it's an encounter with God and a response to that. Now there's also feasting responses. Um, communion was a, a, uh, a feast. The church got together and they ate together and they celebrated the fact that Jesus had died and risen from the dead for them. And so there's also that kind of response. Now, so sometimes there's a result that the, the, in Acts, they were praying and fasting, and God showed up and said, send out Paul and Barnabas. And wow, God showed up and told them something, so then they fasted and prayed some more about that. Um, so sometimes there's a result when we fast, but it's not usually in Scripture that people are trying to create a result. It's usually a response to God or 
their sin or something that they're seeing and they're responding to that. So we are responding to what we've seen from God. And there might be results, but we're not trying to twist God's arm or trying to make it better or even necessarily purify ourselves. Um, it's response to God, fasting or feasting. So for Lent, we're joining Jesus. Um, he was tested in the wilderness. We're going to talk a little more about fast. He fasted. I added, he meditated on the book of Moses, books of Moses. Anybody? That wasn't in the original list, but did you notice that? Jesus responds out of Deuteronomy, out of the books of Moses, three times when he's tempted. And he, either he was hauling scrolls around in the wilderness, or he had Deuteronomy memorized. At least he knew what was going on, and he knew some key verses that, and, and he, not only that, but he had understood it. It wasn't like proof texts. His response is specifically very much appropriate for where he's at and, and Satan's tricky way of, of, of twisting the truth. Satan even comes to him with scripture, but he responds with, no, no, that's, you misunderstood. You need to get your hermeneutics right. <laughs> this is what's really happening. He also prayed and lamented. Now, actually, the, the gospels don't tell us that he prayed and lamented that I can see, but it, that is mentioned in, in Hebrews, as it's mentioned there, that he, he cried out with, with cries of suffering in 5.7, and then 5.8 says, he learned obedience from what he suffered. The wilderness was one of those places, maybe there was others, but suffering was a way to learn obedience. And so, for the children of Israel, their time in the wilderness was supposed to be about Learning obedience, learning trust as well. And Jesus learned to trust God and to obey in the wilderness. And he actually learned it. It doesn't seem like the children of Israel learned it very well. Although the second generation has faith, obeys, and conquers the land. So they didn't learn it in the two years, but in 40 years and a generation, they did. So here's the um, the, some of the paradox of why are they in the wilderness? Well, they're in the wilderness for the first two years because God's got them in basic training. They're, they're there to learn who he is and who they're supposed to be. They were there. Do you remember what he said to, to uh, Pharaoh? He said, let my people go so they might worship me in the wilderness. That was the purpose, to go to the wilderness so they could worship God. So God led them, and remember we were talking about with the fiery cloud and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the cloud and the fire, and he led them into the wilderness for whining or for worship. What was The purpose was worship. The purpose was to encounter God. The purpose was to learn who he was. And in two years, they were supposed to get that right. But they kept doing the whining thing instead of the worship thing. And it's about who they were worshiping. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. Now, in your bulletin, I just wanted to point out Liz's mistyping there. It's, just, it's not whining like we're not drinking wine in the wilderness. Um, I just had to poke a little fun. She's, she's great, but uh, it, it is a homonym. It does say whining, but we're whining. Not whining and dining. It's not whining and dining in the wilderness. So then we're whining about it, right? So... So Pastor Andrews covered some of this um, because I, 
I, uh, there's a lot to cover, so and it fit with the other, but we wanted to bring out, he emphasized chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14 we talked about last time, which is when they turned from, again, it was a complaint, but there was complaint over food, and then at the end there's complaint over water. Miriam and Aaron are complaining about their position, that they don't get to be lead. Why is Moses in charge? Korah and the others rebel because they say, we're Levites, we should, who are the priests any better than us Levites? And the Reubenites joined them. Some people call this the South Side Rebellion. The South Side was second to the East Side. Um, the East Side had, you know, so, so the East, so the second, you know, the, the second oldest brother is always trying to be, why can't I be? And that desire for Moses' position. Now, personally, when I look at Moses' job, no, thank you. Um, everybody seems to want his job. But they haven't really looked at the job description or, or the realities of the job description. I mean, the job description might sound fine. Lead the people out into the, you know, talk to God and all that good stuff. Moses, man, he ends up with these people complaining all the time about him and about things. And amazingly, his response is usually to fall on his face and intercede and pray for the people. Man, that is a hard... I was going to say, uh, that's not what I do, but it's kind of my responsibility, the word of God in prayer, is to, is to pray for you all. <laughs> but that's a hard thing to do. Because they come... They've blown their chance to go into the, into the promised land when he said when he led them to the door. And they have to turn back. And then for the rest of the 38 years, they're complaining about having to turn back. And they say, why did you lead us out in the wilderness? You never brought us into the promised land. You said you were going to bring us into the promised land. Here we are. You know what I'd want to say. I'm not the one who has us stuck in the wilderness. Now, one time, Moses does say, you rebels, and he whacks the rock instead of speaking to it. And that's unbelief and lack of holiness, holding God up as holy, disqualifies him from the promised land. Um, but most of the time, actually, Moses is amazing. People come to him and whine like that. He falls on his face and intercedes because he's like, you guys do not realize who Yahweh is. He's listening. You better start praying. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. Because he realizes their rebellion is dangerous. Do we realize when we complain, who's listening? Do we realize that God is listening? And that the stuff we're complaining about, I mean, he's, he's often given us all this stuff. We miss it for a day or a week, or a year. He gave us health, and then we get sick, and we were whining. Not a lot of gratitude in the previous days, or when we miss it, like, oh, wow, thanks for all the years of health I had. Um, so God is listening when I'm complaining. That is a scary, scary thought, isn't it? Um, so the uh, So some of these rebellions... You know, they, they keep 
coming. For, and, and Moses tries to remind them in verse chapter 17, verse 8. They say, Moses, you've gone too far. You think this is you're somebody? Then he responds and says to the sons of Korah. Now, Korah, they were the ones who got to carry all the parts of the tabernacle, the most precious pieces. So they were like almost. He says, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Yahweh's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister them, to them? Does that seem like a little thing to you? I don't know what your particular ministry is in the body of Christ, but it's easy to say, oh, it's not what that person's ministry is. I don't have that kind of leadership. Um, does it seem insignificant to you? I mean, I was, that was challenged by this. Does it seem insignificant to me that I get to talk to you about the Word of God, that I get to pray for you, that I get to... That, and whatever your position is, does it seem insignificant that God's given you that? We all have a place in the body, but it's easy to say, yeah, but my place isn't what that place is. I'd like to be in that place. You, you don't know what that place is like. You don't know what Aaron's job is like or Moses' job is like. And, they, um, and they're so focused on this um, that he says, okay, well, bring your incense burners and, and come to God. Like, they didn't remember that Aaron's sons, who were priests, and brought a little bit wrong fire, got burned up. And these guys were like, sure, I'll bring my incense. I'll walk into God's presence, even though I'm not a priest. Think about it. They got burned up, right? Um, and the others who rebelled, they, the, Moses actually says, well, you'll know who's right if uh, something amazing happens and they, the earth swallows them then you'll know they weren't, that wasn't the right idea. Sure enough, it does. Of course, what do they do then? They complain. Now, oh, Moses, you're killing God's people. They did not get the picture. Every, have you ever noticed, well, probably in other people, not in yourself, but other people who do really stupid things, get themselves in stupid situations and then complain about how God has treated them unfairly? Not, not, not you, but me. Um, I've seen it happen. You know, somebody whose uh, marriage didn't go well, or actually the, the marriage didn't happen um, right at the last minute, and she was like, why did God do this to me? But I asked her beforehand, I said, so is he a Christian? Is he following God? She said, well, I think he's Catholic. You think? He's Catholic? You have no idea? So God had no part in this relationship to start with, and now you're blaming him because it didn't work out. None of us would ever do that, though. None of us would ever complain that things didn't work out, even though we were the ones who weren't having enough faith to do what God asked us to do, right? None of us would ever blame him for what was really our fault. Parents, kids, spouses, anything like that ever happen? Roommates? When you're, yeah, anyway. 
I guess for some, somebody, th these might be issues. So, but here's my question. Um, here's, my, here's my question after listening to Pastor Andrew preaching. He's out, so I can complain about him all I want. But um, he's with the kids. No, he was, as I was listening to the sermon that I missed, he was, he was saying that, uh, you know, calling us to lament and then preaching how we shouldn't complain. Oh, uh, wait a second. Isn't lament a lot like complaining? What's the difference between lamenting something and complaining about something? And it isn't just in the title. It's in the text. So, um, for example, here's my question. What is appropriate complaint? So in Psalms, there are a hundred Psalms of lament where they're complaining. They're complaining to God about what's going on. Um, probably one of the most famous is Psalm 22. All things about, and it starts out with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Now maybe David was off base when he did that, except that Jesus quotes him on the cross. Jesus complains or laments, or something on the cross. Job. Oh, man, Job knows how to complain. He really knows how to complain. And yet at the end of the book, with all that whining and complaining, God says his friends, with all their good theology, were wrong, and Job was righteous. How is that? And then there's other verses that say, like in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, I had a job as a certified nursing assistant, and um, God convicted me about this because we pretty much complained all the time. And I thought... If I was the one person at this job that didn't complain, I would really shine like a star in a dark place. And the darker it is, the more somebody who doesn't complain is amazing. How, how about where you are at school? If you were the only one that didn't complain about the teachers or those kids, or would that seem weird? Or at your work? Is it okay to be weird? Um, Reuben says yes. So we can shine and be different from the darkness around us. And of course, we wouldn't fit in as well if we weren't complaining. Now, maybe there's times when it's appropriate to, you know, yeah, there's another snow. Yep, another snow. Um, maybe it's okay to not be too weird, but on the other, you know, I don't like the other people who are trying to positively confess all the time, and you, you say, uh, you know, it snowed again. They're like, yes, joyful in Jesus, and you know, all this kind of, come on. Um, you know, my car wouldn't start. Aren't you happy in Jesus? No, I'm not. Um, so where do we find the balance, and how do we, how do we, um, what is the difference here? So here's what I think is maybe the difference. What's appropriate is it's appropriate to complain 
Appropriate complaint is a request to the person who can change it. So if you're complaining about your teacher giving so much homework, and my goodness, this is doesn't she know we have other classes? That's a complaint. If you go to your teacher and you say, listen, there, there's all these classes going on, and I don't know about other people, but I got a lot. Is there any way that um, we could change it or, or restructure when it's due? Or That's kind of a complaint, but it's kind of a negotiation about could you change this? So when the psalmists find injustice and problems in the world, they don't go on social media and complain to everybody about it. Because they didn't have social media, I know. But they write songs, which was definitely a media that everybody could memorize, right? But they don't write songs. They write songs to God. Why? Because they believe God can change it. So they're complaining to God when there's injustice. They don't complain to all their friends who agree with them about that particular injustice. They complain to God. They say, God, fix this injustice. When they see something um, in their own hearts, they don't even get angry about it and, and complain about why I'm so, uh, why am I such a... They go to God and say, God, my heart is so wicked. Please change it. When you get what I'm saying? So... Um, in Tanzania, I would use the example of if your wife leaves rocks in the rice. Now, we don't usually have that problem, but usually you had to sort out, and, you, you know, you'd be biting in the rice. Mm. Oh, that, that, that was a problem if the rice didn't get cleaned well. So if you complain to her and say, you know, there's rocks in the rice. Could you please clean the rice better? Um, that's an appropriate complaint. Rather than just like, mm. there it is again, <laughs> rocks in the rice. But let me not complain. That's not appropriate. Talk about it. So that you could get the rocks out, because she can actually change it. Right? It's inappropriate to go to your neighbor and say, you know, my wife is always leaving rocks in the rice. I can't believe it. Because your neighbor can't do anything about the rocks in the rice. He could pass on the complaint to all your friends about how bad your wife is. Um... Of course, none of us would ever do that. We'd never talk to our girlfriends or our, our guy friends about how bad our wife or husband or our kids or parents are, right? No. We always talk to the appropriate person in the appropriate time in the appropriate way, right? Yeah, sure. Um, so the most appropriate person to talk to is always God because he's always got some power in the situation. So we could complain to him about anything, even the news, because he could actually change what's happening on the news. When I complain about what happens on the news, I usually can't do anything about it, or even about the news. Um, but God could, even if my friends on Facebook can't. So, um, so here were the lessons. They were complaints, complaints, complaints. What they were supposed to learn, Andrew told us, Pastor Andrew said, we were supposed to learn to live by bread alone. But by, and Jesus quotes Deuteronomy again. Um, and they were supposed to know, thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. 
notice that the children of Israel were referred to as God's son, God's child. And, and very appropriate for a father to discipline his children or a mother to discipline their children so that they learn to do things the right way, right? And what's interesting about this is why are they in the wilderness? Well, they're in the wilderness because of their own obstinance rebellion. And yet at the same time, they're in the wilderness because God is patiently teaching them what they need to learn, right? Right? So there's both at the same time. Why was Jesus killed? He was killed because there was terrible injustice and Satan and all of that, and it was for God's purposes. So God has a purpose even in your wilderness, even if your wilderness is there because of your stupidity or your sin. God is still there working on you, working on your kids, working on people around you to help you learn your lesson so that we can respond differently, so that we can know differently. And interestingly, the same thing happens to Jesus, right? You're my beloved son. You bring me great joy. And then the next thing is the wilderness. Now, he could have said, wait, wait, wait. I thought it was a son. And that, that's kind of the prosperity gospel thing. You're a king's kid. You shouldn't have any of those problems. Don't accept them. But sometimes the king gives his kids problems, discipline, things they need to deal with. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's circumstances. Maybe God's brought it directly. But whatever you're in, whatever reason you're in the wilderness, here's the really nice thing. God doesn't leave them. They didn't go into the promised land, and he didn't say, well, fine, you just stay out here. I'm going in. He said, no, we're going to be in the wilderness a while longer. Isn't that, see, we learn that God is just, and he brings judgment on their sin, but he also is merciful. And one of the biggest mercies is he sticks with these people. He responds to Moses' intercession and sticks with these stubborn, rebellious, complaining people. Isn't that good news? That's good news for me. <laughs> that God sticks with me even in my stubbornness, my rebellion, and my complaints. Even in the wilderness. God is with you. Even if you haven't noticed lately because things have been hard. And, um, not, and they, I have no doubt I'm not making light of the hardships. Some of us have some real difficult hardships that we're facing. And I, I don't even know half of them. I know some of them. And some of them are really difficult. And yet God is faithful. And he's with us. And he's teaching us in the middle of all of it. One of these things he's teaching us is to fear only the Lord your God. You shall worship him and swear by his name. So Pastor Andrew was showing us that each of the things that the Israelites went through, Jesus also went through, and he learned from their example. And he learned from what was written about them. He learned from the book of Moses, the books of Moses, how to handle this. So these examples, which are repeated again in the 
in the poets, the, pro the Psalms, the prophets, and the apostles use these. And always they're saying, learn from this example. Don't repeat what somebody else did. So the test is coming. Find out what the answers are ahead. Um, that's the next thing. You should not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. That was a, th a third quotation that Jesus. So what about the test? Here is what the test is. Basically, will God fulfill his promises? Is he really good? Is his word good? Is he true? That's the test they were putting to God. The same test that the serpent and Eve were on. Is, did God really say, is God keeping you from this tree? Oh, I'm sorry. You've got the whole world and all of its trees, but you are really missing out on this, this tree. Um, that questioning of God's goodness. And here they're questioning God's goodness. Um, let's, okay. It's also a test for them or us. Will we fulfill our promises to God? So the same word is used for the test. The test is, is God really faithful? Now, and in that case, it's, an, it's a, a lack of faith. You know, he just got out of the Exodus. He just, he just destroyed the whole Egyptian army. He just wiped out Egypt. He just was on the mount. And is he really all that? This Yahweh, God, can he really do that? And he's giving us bread every day. I know, but what about me? Now, <clears throat> any of you who are participating in any fasting um, of whatever may notice that it's not as easy as it sounds. Bread every day for 40 years, or manna, I, manna was probably really good, but three meals, meals a day of it, that's this one thing I notice about a lot of Americans, we can eat a lot of different things. I, I go to Tanzania, I like ugali, it's, it's good. But after a week of it, I'm ready for some pizza, some Chinese food, some kind of variety, right? We're used to variety, but they, and they got a little sick of it after 40 years, even though it was God's provision for them. Um, let's, let's, um, well, let me, let me just finish this. So when you face a task, the best thing, if it's, if it's legal, is to ask someone who already took the test to show you the wrong and right answers. Right? I mean, usually, at least theoretically, you, you, that's possible. You know the category of answers. Come on, students. If you had somebody show you the test, show you at least what you're, what's going to be on the test, right? Wouldn't that be great? And, okay, I did this, and that was the wrong answer. But I did this, and that was the right answer. And Israel shows us exactly what all the wrong answers are, pretty much. And Jesus shows us exactly what all the right answers are. How did he do it? He looked at their test. He peeked at their test because they had been written down in the books of Moses. He studied the test that they had done so that when he got in this situation, he was like, oh yeah, this is that one. This is that one about eating. Um, and the answer is um, the word of God. You should 
not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Every word that comes from the, not only bread, but everything that God gives. I actually, I remember this, reading this one in Tanzania in a particular uh, difficult time. I was actually sitting in the bathtub and reading somebody saying, you know, initially when we get saved, God gives us, we pray for daily bread, and God gives us bread, like daily, like every, you know, like, like manna. And, and then he even gives us raisin bread often, just like we pray for something, we, we get it. And, and he builds our faith. And then he changes it, and he says, what if I don't give you bread? Then what happens? And so Jesus gets up, and it's no bread today is the word of God. And day three, it's no bread and no water. And day four, it's no bread. And every day, he gets the answer, no bread. And he still says, I want whatever God says. God says bread, I take it. If God says no bread, I take it. I want whatever proceeds from the mouth of God. And just then the lights went off, and I had to figure out how to deal with all that. Um, <clears throat> anyway, that, that is what God is asking of us. Are we ready to, and it's not as easy as it sounds. Because there's all these things that we depend on. So in the test, we find out God is faithful. And we find out the Israelites are not faithful. And he lets his people choose and experience the consequences of their choice. Now, that's, he gives us a choice. So it, that is his judgment and his mercy on us. Now, I want you to think about that because our favorite thing as Americans is choice. Freedom, independence, and choice. Go in the grocery store and pick which kind of anything you want. Which kind of cereal you want. There's a whole aisle of cereal. Even if it comes to something basic, bananas. You have organic bananas or you have regular bananas. You have, we have all of these, <laughs> Ken is laughing. <laughs> he sees it. We have all these choices, and that's what we want. And we pretend, we tell ourselves, you have all this choice. You can be anything you want to be. I, w I went and saw the kids in the uh, high school musical, that, the show called High School Musical, what I, which I had never seen. It was a great show. They did a good job. Shout out to the, those who were doing uh, High School Musical. And um, the, the, the moral of the story, which I hadn't seen before, as a lot of you have watched the movie and whatever, is that you can choose. You can be anything you want to be. You don't have to just be the star of the basketball team. You could be the lead in the drama show. I was always like, if I could get into the basketball team, that'd be good. <laughs> maybe I could get into the drama, but I don't think I could be the lead. But most of us don't have those kind of choices. Like, I, shall I be also, maybe I could also be the smartest kid in the school, which is one of the other choices. I could be the smartest kid in the school and lead. That's the kind of thing that our society tells us we get to choose. Really? Most of us don't get to choose that. <laughs> At least I didn't get to choose that. Um, I could be on the basketball team, which I wasn't. Well, fifth and sixth grade, I was on the basketball team. Okay, but um, I was not on varsity. So, um, 
But because we build up this expectation, you can be anything you want to be, and then it turns out, I'm not all that. I'm not even half of what I hope to be, and I'm not even what my friend puts on Facebook, and I'm not even, and we get so depressed. Reality minus expectation equals happiness, and the expectation is you can be anything. Nah. Here's the secret of the choices in the Word of God. Choose to let God choose. And that takes your whole life to figure out how to choose to let God choose. And if God chooses to make you the star of the basketball team, use it for his glory. If he chooses to not let you on the basketball team, use that for his glory. And choosing to let God choose and learning how to get myself out of the way so that he can really choose. And then not complaining. Wow, that is amazing. So here, um, one other thing that, that Andrew uh, mentioned a few times. So was he kept saying, when we were, as we were looking at the judgments, he kept saying, well, that seems kind of harsh. It does, right? Like these people rebel against God and he burns them up. These people rebel against God, the earth swallows them. Moses whacks the rock and he says, no, go into the promised land for you. So, I mean, he didn't whack them. You know, he, did, he, he gave them a full 120 years and then um, just didn't give them the promised land. But remember, God is teaching them something. And you know, when your kid runs out in the street in front of a car, you get kind of harsh. Don't you? You grab them and you do something about it. You don't just say, that was not a good idea. Because you want them to get the message, that was not a good idea. Because you're trying to keep them from death. And God has some very explicit demonstrations of the death that they're choosing when they choose to choose on their own instead of choosing to trust him, follow him, and obey him. So God gets really serious in his training of them. And you see, here's the other thing. It's the other way around. It, it's really harsh if the world is supposed to be about me. Right? If I'm supposed to always be eating well, and I'm supposed to always be having a good time, and I'm supposed to always be healthy then anything of those doesn't go well, and I start to whine. I'm bored. Who said you were, who said, who cares? I'm hungry. Well, pick something in the kitchen. But there's nothing to eat. That's exactly what the Israelites say here. Um, Numbers 21, verse 4. As you're turning there, let me pick up some of the things that Andrew said we were supposed to, Pastor Andrew said we're supposed to, they were supposed to learn to be a people of his presence, a holy people, a mobilized people, dependent, trained people, a grateful, God-fearing people, and a trustful, obedient people. And they were none of those. And yet their children somehow watched all of this and got it, some of that down. God actually trained them to be that. And we really want to be that. Because we want to be conquering cities. 
And we're going to want to be our kids inheriting cities, not inheriting wilderness sand. We want them to be inheriting cities that we... So, but here's the thing. Here's what I think it comes down to. It comes down to idolatry. Why am I whining? Because the world is supposed to be my way. And it's not. Now, some of these are very legitimate needs that God gave to us. We need to eat. We need companionship. We need health and life. And he provides those for us. And we tend to not be grateful about it. And then when we miss one of them, we whine. And the deep idols under that are our desire for power and control, for approval and reputation. This is, if you're remembering, we're going back to the, the Babel and, and Bethel stories. What's on top of your temple? What is the God that you've put up there? And usually it's the kingdom of self. I get to, you know, it's, it should be about me. Um, so I asked you what, you complained about this week and even let you guys tell some, so I'm going to be honest and tell you what I complained about this week. Not proud of it, but so um, Jan is in Chicago. She, she went to Chicago to see our twins, and her sister called her up and, sh and said, you know, let's go down and see our kids in Chicago, and so she made a plan with her, and then I found out about it, and I was like, what? We've been planning to go to Chicago, but now you're going with your sister? Well, I, why, why, don't I go, why don't I go to Chicago with you? He said, well, I'd rather go with my sister. What? You'd rather go with your sister? What? And, uh, and then it turned out, actually, you know, I had to preach about complaining. So I wasn't really free for the weekend. And I had to prepare to preach about complaining. And so, so I was whining. And I was thinking about it and not getting to sleep. And then I was whining about not getting sleep. And the more I didn't sleep, then the more complaining and whiny I got. And um, I'm also fasting snacks and desserts and a few meals. And that makes, you know, I, that didn't help anything. Not, not any big things. I was talking to Justin on the phone. He's like, you know, he's fasting some too. And he was saying, you know, really find how much I... I my body is in control and how, and, and how much I use that as an excuse. He said, you know, I, when I fast for, you know, on Fridays, I get a headache. I get a migraine every time. And I always use that as an excuse. Like, oh, I got a headache. I can't do anything. I, I, gotta, I, I just got to eat because, I, I, you know, I always get a headache. And there is all these things that prop us up, that we depend on to keep ourselves feeling good, like eating on a regular basis. It helps you feel good. It's recommended. But sometimes God wants us to notice how we might be depending on that idol to prop us up. We need friends, family. I'm a very extroverted person. I like connection. I like to talk to Jan about what's going on. And, and it gets to be a crutch. It gets to be an idol, you know? And I, I, you know, so I went up to, uh, we went for this vacation, you know, and we were going to get away, and we, we, like, never take a vacation with just the two of us. We're, and we go up to this beautiful place, had a great 24 hours, and then she got sick and was in bed the whole time. And uh, 
I was caught between do I complain about this or do I enjoy the fact that I can still ski and uh, it's a beautiful place and we've got this beautiful free um, house to stay in for the, and, and God, you know, really met me in that. And this weekend, God also really met me in, in time with my spiritual director and time playing racquetball with somebody I've been trying to play racquetball with for a year. Um, it's been a year since we played. Yeah, it was pretty sad. But um, anyway, um, so, and other good things. So this vacillation between sensing God's presence and whining and complaining. I don't know about you, but that's kind of personally where I find myself sometimes. And some little thing gets knocked out. You know, I, I throw up and I get, I didn't sleep or I didn't eat or I got a headache or I, little things. And sometimes big things. Some of you have a lot bigger things than that. I'm not trying to, um, but it makes me say, who is my God? Who am I depending on? And if God takes away one of the little blessings that he's given me, is that the end of the world? And you see, so that whole thing about it being harsh punishment is about if God is supposed to be nice to us. If God is God and he gives us life, we were just singing the song, we're going to sing it again, you give me breath so well. If every breath is from God, then I should be thankful for every breath. And when I miss breaths, I should say, oh, well, God took that back. See, God gave life, and these rebellious folks, he said, well, we're going to open up the ground, and you're not going to have life anymore. Um, so let's read this, this passage. 21.4. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. They began to speak against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. Okay, that's a little contradiction. There's nothing to eat and we hate the manna. But, you know, after 40 years they were complaining. So Yahweh sent poisonous snakes among the people, or fiery snakes. And many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against Yahweh and against you. Pray that Yahweh will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Now, I think this is actually progress. This last time that they're complaining, they actually got the picture and repented and said, Whoops! We weren't supposed to complain. I don't know if they did that any of the other times. They just uh, um, complained and got the judgment. Then the Lord told them, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of a bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. So I am... I want us to look at this particular one because it's so weird, okay? Um, but it, the point is they were complaining, right? Um, they were not trusting God. Oh, sorry, this, let me back up a minute. I, I forgot about this slide. So the people of Israel in, and, and Jesus 
both had this communication. They both met God and heard, you are my dearly loved child, you bring me great joy. That is what we have to remember. God is great. God loves us. We bring him great joy. He wants to give us that joy. And he wants to enjoy us. This was what I was struggling with this week. I was feeling rejected. But God hasn't rejected me. This is who I am. I'm dearly loved. I bring him great joy. He's wanting to bless me. I have to trust God for provision, not be self-sufficient. I need God to provide me food, to provide me friends, to provide me um, mental sanity, to provide me sleep, to provide me anything. Everything comes from God. And Jesus trusts God for provision. He isn't self-sufficient. Satan says, you're the son of God, so make manna. You could make manna. You did it before. He says, I could. But he's learning obedience, whatever God says. For power and position. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Not to be super. To, you know, I want to be Moses. I want to have that. I want to be king. And for prestige and reputation. You know, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Wouldn't that be amazing? Everybody, see who you really are. You're the son of God. We all want to be spectacular, amazing, to have people say, wow, you are so cool at that. You are so whatever. But God takes things away so that we can trust him. And Jesus, in each of those situations, trusted him. And the people of Israel, in each of those situations, did not trust him. So Yahweh needs to be on top. Back to the, sorry, I, back to the, uh, the snake. So uh, the snake throughout the ancient Near East was a symbol of death and of healing. You've all seen different kinds of pictures of the pharaoh, right? With the cobra. What does it mean? It means he is a god who is in charge of death and healing. Don't mess with me. That's what it means. <laughs> I'm the pharaoh. I'm the snake. I, 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 and this, interestingly, this, uh, this is a copper snake um, right here. Just a small one that was found at Timna in the area that we're talking about in a Midianite tent tabernacle. It's something that people understood at the time. We may not get it. We may think that's weird. But it was a symbol of both death and of healing. And the Midianites, you know, Moses, Jethro was, was his father-in-law, was, was Midianite. Exactly how the influence goes. This was 1,000 B.C., after Moses' time. But, um, but Moses puts this snake on a pole and sets it up. Um, where, where did that come from? It may have, you know, this is the Carter, Jimmy Carter and his Carter research say, they think it actually came from um, guinea worm. Because guinea worm was one of the things that people in the ancient world could heal by doing what? By taking a stick and pulling the guinea worm out of your foot. It could be a meter long, and it burns like the dickens. Um, so you could pull guinea worm out, and that may be the origin of why the snake on the pole is also in Greek. And other places, a lot of people have this kind of a symbol of healing 
and medicine. Good thing Jimmy Carter has taken his Christianity to work. Along with others, they've, they, they've worked on this. In 1985, there were 35 million cases, but they were in the poorest parts of the world, so nobody really cared too much because there wasn't money in doing pharmaceuticals for it. And there isn't a treatment, except you can make sure that you cut the, that nobody who has this goes in any water source and nobody drinks from any water source where anybody had that, but that takes a lot of education in a lot of villages and a lot of places. But they did it so that in 2018, there were 18 cases. 80 million cases were, were diverted. Now, I want you to think about how we think about healing and how we think about medicine. I think we think about them like this. God heals, but sometimes you have to go to the doctor. And we never put those things together in our heads. I think Jimmy Carter is a great healing evangelist. I think he's put, together with other people, cooperated to help heal people. And I think there's a lot of people in this congregation, if you are somehow involved with the medical field, you're a certified nursing assistant, you're a midwife, would you stand up? Somehow doing some work, or you're retired, that's okay, you're retired. Linda, you can stand up. <laughs> um, so these are healers in our midst. And I want us to pray for them and cooperate with them and help them as they heal. So the question is, is our medicine an idol or a means for Yahweh to heal? So when people got bitten and they looked at this hole, whether it was a guinea worm or a snake or whatever the deal was that was causing this, they were demonstrating, I trust that God is the one who can heal me. Because he told me to look here, and he would heal me. Right? Now we have the story later. Hezekiah gets this thing, and he has to chop it up, grind it up, and throw it away. Why? Because it became an idol. People looked at it and said, that snake can heal me. Medicine can't heal you. Medical science can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. Only God gives life. Only God gives healing. And only He can heal us. Do we make medicine something we look at to heal us? Well, we spend $9,000 a year per person on medicine. And we don't share that with Africa, which has 25% of the diseases and maybe overall $300, $400 a year. Tanzania was more like 70 Where Ebola, we have one point Congo had $15 per year per person. So, and when we talk about medicine, we only talk about justice within America. Notice that? We never talk about would it be just, um, how would we do this for everybody? So, just one of the idols we have that we depend on for health, for life. But Yahweh is the only one who can give us life, who can give us health. And we want to cooperate with him in 
working and providing for our family and, and uh, medical diagnosis and treatment. We want to cooperate with him in that, but everything depends on Yahweh. Whether I'm sane or insane, whether I'm healthy or unhealthy, whether I have friends or none, whether I eat or I don't, whether I live or I die, it's all a gift from the only one. So learning to trust. A couple of practical suggestions. Read the Bible. Why do I say that? Jesus did. He not only read the books to Moses, he memorized them. He meditated on them. He knew when to use them and what the... He learned the test from the people who had already taken the test. And we even have his example of all the right answers. Um, be with Jesus in the wilderness. Here's the one reason why you should be in the wilderness. Because Jesus is there. Because the Spirit led you there. Because the cloud and the fire went there, that's why you need to be there. Good news is, Jesus is with you in the wilderness. He knows what the wilderness is like. He knows what pain is like. He knows what lack of eating is like. He knows what all of those things are like. He's with you, and his spirit is with you in whatever your wilderness is. What do I deserve? That's the other question that gets you. Is like, when I think about the stuff I'm whining about, do I deserve to always eat? Do I deserve to always be healthy? Do I deserve to always have my family with me? Or do I deserve actually death from all my rebellion? And Jesus said he was going to be lifted up like the snake on the pole so that all men could be drawn to him and we could find healing in Jesus. We could find life in him. And then finally talk to God about everything, including thank you. Thank you for this and this and this and this that I forgot are actually from you. And thank you for this and this and this that happened today. And for So I, on your insert, I have this really, this chart that you can do whatever you want with for uh, um, further study. But on the back, I really want you to do that. So on, on one side it says, thank you for. On the other side it says, please change. This is so bad. Please change. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to do those two practical things. Well, you can do all these things. Notice Jesus with you. Read the Bible. But this week especially, try to, at the end of the day, say, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you. And, and then when you miss something, say, thank you that usually my wife is home. Thank you that I have a wife. Thank you that she's amazing. Thank you that when you... Um, and when you see some injustice, when you listen to the news, don't just go, oh, man, go, oh, God, please deal with that situation. The news is good if you turn it into prayer. If you turn it into complaint, what's the point? You're not doing anything about it except making yourself complaining. So listen to the news, but... Respond to God. And um, yeah, I've been kind of off of Facebook and news and other stuff quite a bit for, for Lent. That's a good practice. I don't know that it should always be because we need to be bringing those things to prayer. 
but it's a good reminder to withdraw from all those things that keep us distracted. The wilderness is a great place to be not distracted. That's part of why God brings us there. To the lonely place, to the dry place, to the place where we might be able to find out what's really in our hearts. Could the worship team come up? And I want us to sing One Thing Remains. Um, but let's pray. Lord, I want to confess my own complaint, my own whiny heart. Lord, it seems like no matter how good things are, I find something wrong. And I find a, a way it could be better. Lord, I, I pray that you would work in my heart. And I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts so that we would notice you. We would notice your goodness. We would notice your generosity to us. We would notice all your gifts, and we would tell you about them. And we'd tell other people about them. We'd say, wow, that's amazing. Look what God did. And we would revel in them. We'd write them down. And we would appreciate every meal. It wouldn't just be a prayer at the beginning or a prayer at the end, but it would be a true gratitude for each thing we eat, for each time we go to sleep and each time we wake up again, for each time we have a good conversation. Um, Lord, we ask you also to fix the things in this fallen world. We confess that we're the ones that messed it up. And the world is really, really a mess. But we ask you to take care of that. And I pray that you'd help us Help us, Lord, to bring you the, the terrible, injustice, awful stuff that's going on. Our wilderness and other people's. You want us to talk to you about those things. And you want to change them. And Lord, in all of this, I pray that you would train us to be the people that you want us to be. And I pray that you'd show us who you are so we could be your people in the real sense. And we could radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. As your people, this week, I pray that you would go with us and that we would be shining like stars in the universe. That we would be calling out to you for the injustices we see and we would not be complaining or arguing with other people or to other people but we'd be going to the source. Only you can do that. We confess our own weakness for all that we've tried. We're still a bunch of whiners. For all that I've tried, I'm still whiny. I pray that you'd forgive me for my lack of appreciation, for my lack of prayer, and that you'd help me Help us to go to you, to notice you, and to be with you in the wilderness, in the fast, in the feast, in the promised land, wherever you have us, at whatever season, that we would notice you, enjoy you, 
and welcome you into our wilderness, our situation, and our lives. Thank you for being who you are and help us to exalt you as true God of every aspect of our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you so that some of you need to go get your kids. I'm not just going to dismiss you, I'm going to bless you. Because in Numbers it says that when I speak this blessing, you will actually be blessed by God. So may Yahweh bless you and protect you. May Yahweh smile on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen.